It's the old saying, let go and let God. Yet the sacred art of letting go is not the same as giving up. Instead, it's the art of giving in, realizing that as much as you'd like to do something about a situation that's driving you crazy or hurting you deeply, you realize that you're helpless. In fact, Jesus affirmed and established this, okay? It's that moment of helplessness that has the potential to set you free and change you forever. Simply stated, you're not in control. God is. Welcome to the Destined to Win podcast with pastor and teacher Tim Masters. Pastor Tim is the senior pastor of Victorious Life Christian Center in Flagstaff, Arizona. I'm Joe Harding, inviting you to join us for worship services Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. at the Flagstaff Middle School Complex. For more information on the ministries of Victorious Life Christian Centers or to make a donation, visit us online at vlccaz.org. That's vlccaz.org. Now with today's message, here's Pastor Tim Masters. It's really special to come up here. Um, I sort of remember Tim, your pastor, and I remember his wife, Jewel. Remember their faces? We had thousands of faces. And uh, I uh, was getting older and was remembering fewer and fewer of them. Anyway, uh, my wife and I, we live down in Gilbert, and uh, we made the drive up here to cool Flagstaff. We, we got several really nice weeks, you know, escaping from the hell of the valley. Uh, we were in Oregon for a week. I preached in Eugene, Oregon for two Sundays, last Sunday, the Sunday before. And come up here to Flagstaff, and today we're headed out to California to spend time with our, our, our two boys and their family. Uh, families. We have, we have three children, uh, two boys and then a girl in the middle. And we have eight grandkids, and um, Pastor Tim already mentioned that my, uh, our youngest, our oldest son, uh, David, is in full-time ministry. He, he, has, a nas- he has national uh, influence. It's really remarkable. Uh, I brought a couple of his books with me. I've got a bunch of books out there, but he's written some books, and, and uh, his first book sold more than all of my other books added up together. Uh, it's, called, uh, it's called Unchristian, and it's about the increasing challenges the church is facing and reaching a younger generation. And then he wrote a follow-up book called You Lost Me, Why Young Christians Are Leaving Church and Rethinking Faith. And it's, it's uh, you know, they're not, uh, in some ways they're not encouraging books, but they're books that tell us that it is what it is, and we've got to do something, and that something has to be in some ways very different from the way we've done church for so, uh, so long. Anyway, uh, I've I got a new book. I just released a new book. It's on the book of Galatians, and this is my life message. And Jewel remembers, you know, she remembers me saying over and over, uh, your relationship with God is based on Jesus plus nothing. And I don't know who the artist was. Who was it that we were listening to on the way in, Tim, in your car? Who was that? Well, Darlene, but, but that guy was singing, uh, it's not about what I've done. It's about who you are. They're casting crowns. It's not about what I've done. It's about who you are. 
And that's really what the message of, of grace is all about. And this book is about the message of grace, Jesus plus nothing. And I titled it to try to get people's attention, Honey, I Just Shrunk Jesus. Because when you have something plus, if you have Jesus plus something, whatever you add to Jesus makes Jesus a little less than everything. And our relationship with God is based on his finished work. It's not what I've done or what I keep doing because now I'm a Christian and I'm supposed to do that. It's because of what Jesus has done. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. So my hope is my hope is built not on my righteousness, not what I've done or what I'm going to do or what I'm going to try hard to do or what I'm going to try to do better than somebody else. It's what Jesus has already done. Religion says do. Grace says done. It's done. So my oldest son is in ministry full-time, and uh, our, our daughter and her husband live in Colorado. They live, they live in California, my son, and our daughter and her husband, uh, they live in Denver. He, uh, my our son-in-law, he teaches at a Christian, a fantastic Christian high school in Denver called Valor. And uh, they have four children. And our, our daughter, she teaches English as a second language uh, to incoming college students who are not proficient in English. For last, She had a class recently, had 19 different languages. She said the potluck at the end of the class was really good. <laughs> Would that be something? You'd go to a potluck where you got... Food, you know, food from 19 different countries. And, uh, <clears throat> and then our youngest son, and that's why we're going to California. We have not seen our youngest son for a year. He's in the Navy serving our country. And uh, he's, uh, he's just finished a three-year tour of duty in Japan, and he and his wife have been living over there for three years uh, in, in, uh, outside of Yokohama. And uh, they have a little boy, and we've only, we've only seen Oliver one, once in the last year. And so we're going to see them tonight. And so this is going to be a short sermon. <laughs> in fact, this sermon is so short, I'm, all, I'm already done. So <laughs> let's close in a word of prayer. <laughs> Marilyn, sit down, you're not preaching today. <laughs> sit down, you're not preaching. Okay, this is right. Okay. Now, I'm older than you, too, bro. Okay. <laughs> I've done that so much. You just, you, you have no idea how difficult it is for a preacher. I'm going to fall off this platform. Uh, you have no idea how difficult it is for a preacher to sit and listen to another preacher. It's just, oh, it's not, it's not. Oh, okay. No, well, it was for me. He's good. Okay. Well, moving right along here. So uh, anyway, he's in the Navy, and uh, we're going to see them tonight. We got a long drive from here to L.A. They live in Ventura. Uh, well, he's he's uh, on the he's on the West Coast with his brother right now, and uh, and then they're headed to the East Coast. He's going to be in Norfolk for a while, Norfolk, Virginia. He's got a really cool job in the Navy. I love to tell people what he does. He plays the trumpet. He's a full time musician in the in the Navy. He plays the trumpet in the Navy band. So he was in the Navy band in uh, in Japan. Before that, he had a really tough tour. He was in. San Diego on North Island, Coronado. The band room was on the beach. Let's pray. <laughs> Heavenly Father, thank you for this church. I thank you for the, the joy of coming here and investing a piece of my life in theirs and in the leadership of this church. Thank you for a wonderful day yesterday, meeting with the team. Uh, thank you for this new friendship that we're forming 
uh, with Pastor Tim and Jewel. And Lord, uh, for the good news of what's happened in this church over the last several years, God, you are building something here that's very special. I look across the faces and I appreciate, Lord, seeing the diversity. Lord, that's what the body of Christ is all about. Lots of different people coming from different places in life, coming together to worship you. And as I share your word, I pray for your Holy Spirit to speak through me in Jesus' name. Amen. I have a very personal question I want to ask you. How many of you have been married at least once? (laughs) How many of you, I'm not going to go there, okay? Uh, How many of you have had at least one conflict since you've been married? That's great. How many of you have had a conflict since you've been married and, and you were a Christian and you are a Christian? So, oh, we got, we got some really honest people. Your pastor and his wife are raising their hands. Um, I, I just want to begin by saying I, I've read about this in books, but my wife and I have never experienced this personally. <laughs> We, you know, I've got, I actually wrote a book about marriage, and I've got my books out there. One of them is called Learning to Love the One You Marry, and we were, we were having some problems, and I told her, read the book. <laughs> she's heard this a lot of times. She's gone, oh, well, she's, you know, you, you mentioned the, 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 the wind, the wind what's, the, what's the phrase, the wind beneath our wings, you know, you know, Marilyn's been that, and uh, I tell, I like to tell people I'm a man of God. Marilyn is a saint. Anyway, so uh, we've, ha- we've had our difficulties, and there are times when you cannot solve your own problems. I talked to the, the team about this yesterday. You know, I've, I have two seminary degrees, and I've written books, and I've been a pastor for, for 40 years, and, and the person that I've had most, the most difficult time with in my life is me. And sometimes I, c- I can't solve my own problems. Just because you know a lot doesn't mean that you can solve your own problems. This is back to the relationship issue we need others to speak into our lives. And so my wife and I, on, on a number of occasions, have gone to see people to help us work through issues. We've been married for 42 years this month. And, uh, <clears throat> so we've got a good friend. Uh, his name is Al Els. I've written a book with Al about relationships. It's called Leaders at Last. He's a therapist, a counselor. He focuses on working with pastors he does a lot of consulting with local churches. He and I actually work with a denomination, Church of God, uh, Anderson, Indiana. And uh, Al and I, you know, we're friends. We've, we've been colleagues for years, and there are times when we've asked each other for advice. I've spoken into his life, too. And so my wife and I, we're just, I don't even remember what the issue was. But, you know, when you're married, it's always sort of the same issue. I mean, you don't really come up with creative ways to offend each other. You know, it's uh, the same old, same old. That's why couples say, you always, and you never. And so uh, it was one of those always and never situations, and we went over to Al's house. I called him, and I said, we really need to talk. And he said, come on over. It was in the evening, and uh, he just lived a few blocks away from us at the time. And we sat down, and I presented my case. I had, I had notes and fill in the blanks. Did you find the notes? There are notes for you to fill in the blanks in the bulletin today. Anyway, uh, and uh, Marilyn is 
a woman a few words, and she said a few things, and you know, I, was just, I was just very upset. And Al said to me, step outside with me for just a second. So we stepped out onto his front porch, and he really didn't have much to say. He just put his hand on my chest. He, he does that, and it's annoying. He put his hand on my chest, and, and he said, Brother, you have to let this go. And I knew in that moment that there was really no way out of this. Because sometimes in trying to fix somebody or trying to solve a problem, we just make it worse. We turn molehills into mountains. And this is what I've come to call, and this is the title of my message, The Sacred Art of Letting Go. And I believe that it's perhaps the most important thing we can learn in life. It's the essence of faith, ruthless trust in God, It's embedded in the principal symbol of the Christian faith, which is the cross. And as much as anything, the cross is about letting go. Now, some of you are probably wearing crosses. Is there a cross in the church someplace? You don't have one up here. Uh, Jesus is Lord. That's enough. You know, but, you know, we have crosses on churches, and and we say we're, we're people of the cross, and we love the cross, and we know that Jesus died on the cross for our sins. But as we're going to see this morning, the cross is not just about salvation, it's really about how you live your life and how, how you respond to the difficulties of life. And the cross, I'm going to say, practically speaking, is about you learning how to let it go. Let it go. Jesus is our example. And I know you had this up here, and if you just oh, wait, wait, till I'll, I'll get to these points. Sometimes it takes me longer than you think, and, and just follow me. But this is the first point here. Jesus is our example. He let it go when he was born, when God became flesh. All right? Look at Philippians chapter 2. Let's pop that up there. Your attitude, anybody in here ever have an attitude? All right? Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. Now, what's really interesting about this is Paul is telling us about Jesus, not just about what he did on the cross for our sins, not just about the act of salvation, which gets it all started, but he is, he's telling us Jesus is someone we should follow. Uh, my friend Al likes to say, the church is filled with people who are enemies of the cross because of the way they react, because of the way they respond to difficulty in life, because of the way they don't know how to relate to one another with forgiveness and love and acceptance. We're enemies of the cross. We, we don't do what Jesus did. Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. We respond the way Americans do, with anger, with litigation. You know, this is a free country. I've got my rights. Did you know there are more lawyers in America than all the other countries added up together? And, you know, something happens to your kid at school, and you march down there, and you demand your rights, and you send people emails, and, and Christians do this. I was involved in a church crisis Last year, I was an interim pastor, and people sent emails. I thought, I thought, I decided emails come from hell because that's, that's the feeling I got. And I, I had to lay down the law. I said, this church will not send any more emails to anybody about any problems. And everybody wants to be right. And everybody wants to win. But the Bible says, let your attitude be the same as Christ Jesus who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be what? 
grasped. What's the opposite of grasping something? Letting go. He let go of all of his rights to deity. He made himself nothing. And uh, in, in the Greek, it's the word kenosis. It means he emptied himself. It's, it's the doctrine of the emptying of the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and he, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on the cross, the most, the most dreadful kind of death, the most horrible way to die. And the Bible says, you should have that same attitude. This is a message I've preached a number of times. It's my life message, and I'm still working on it. Because I'm an impatient person, I have to work on this stuff. And I don't work on it in the sense that I'm working for my salvation, but I'm working out my salvation. I have to learn every day what it means to submit to Jesus. Jesus is Lord. That means he's Lord of your attitude. Jesus, so Jesus let go when he was made flesh. Now, number two, let's pop that up. He also, number two, he let go when he died. And uh, we already touched on that, but remember, I want to say this again, his death on the cross was not just about saving us from our sins. It was also about laying out for us a pattern, a way to live. When the Bible says, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed through the renewing of your mind, Hey, this is kind of what the Bible is talking about. This is a new way of looking at life. It's a new way of doing life. Um, Look at 1 Peter 2, verse 20. I've heard very little preaching and teaching on this, and I've tried to share this with Christians who are in a crisis, and it's like it goes right over their head. Um, It says, how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and you endure it? Okay, Let me help you with this. So if you do something wrong and you hang your head and you say it was my fault and I should have never done that and you humbly ask for forgiveness, it's not to your credit because that's that's the minimum thing. How, How can you expect credit for doing the bare minimum? And yet, most of us think if we get that far in our Christian life, we've really done well. How many of you find it hard to sort of admit that you've done something wrong? And that it's usually about the other person. Okay, how many of you have actually had a police officer pull you over on the road? Come on, come on, raise your hands or a lightning bolt's going to strike you dead for not confessing your sin. All right, so you see the red and blue lights flashing in your rearview mirror, you know? And what's the first thing that goes through your mind? Oh, man. And so the, 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 the police officer, you know, he... You roll down your window and he talks to you and, and uh, he likes to ask this question, do you know what you did? I was on my way to a meeting with some other pastors uh, way up in North Phoenix and I got off the freeway. I missed my exit. I was thinking about stuff and I missed my exit at 67th Avenue and the 101 and, and I had a, a, a fast little sports car at the time and I zoomed right by and then, and then I got off of the next exit, 75th Avenue, and the light at the end of the ramp turned red. Well, you can turn red on, you can turn right on red here in Arizona, right? I've only lived here my whole life. So I looked, you know, I looked, and there were, I saw no, no cars, 
But oh, I saw some cars, but they weren't too far. They, they were far enough away so I could make a quick turn with my sports car and headed up north on 75th Avenue. And I look in my rearview mirror. And um, the policeman pulled me over, and he asked me that question. Do you know what you did? And I said, <clears throat> No. I mean, it came out of my mouth. I just couldn't control myself. It just, no. Uh, I, uh, what, what did I do? He said, you, you didn't stop at the red light. Well, you know, I, you know, I, I kind of went through it at like 35 miles an hour. Uh, and, and so he gave me a ticket. There was, you know, I really had no argument. And, uh, but I just thought to myself how hard it was for me to just suck it up and take it. Uh, this... Is the, this was the first symptom that there was sin in the world. Because Adam, when he sinned against God, you know, God called him in the garden, Adam, where are you? It's like your kids, you know, at the end of the hall, and all of a sudden it gets really quiet. What are you, what's going on back there? Nothing, you know? And uh, so Adam is at the end of the hall. God, God says, what you, and God says what are you, why are you hiding? Did you eat from that tree? I told you not to eat from that tree. And what's the simple answer? Did you eat from that tree? What's the simple answer? Yes, Lord. I'm really sorry. But what does Adam say? The woman that you gave me, okay? This is very complicated. The woman that you gave me, she gave this to me. And then I ate, okay? I'm not totally responsible, you know? And that's how we all feel. I'm, you know, I know, I know that, uh, I, I know that, um, I know that you're, you're, you're right, but I'm not totally wrong. It's so hard just to, take, just to take responsibility. It's so hard. You know, the Diamondbacks and the Dodgers had a huge, they had a huge fight a couple months ago. Man, it was, all, it was big news on ESPN. And I read all the articles. I'm really interested in sports. I read all the articles. And I, as I read through those articles, I was looking for someone to say, I, I shouldn't have done what I did. Nobody on either team admitted any guilt. Now, they took their shots, they took the penalties, but nobody admitted any guilt. And this is just the way, it's this way with families, it's this way at work. You work with people, people that you work with, do they want to say, well, it was my fault, I shouldn't have done that. Nobody's ever wrong. So we think, well, Jesus is really working in my life because I can admit that I've done something wrong. But the Bible says this is no credit to you. Listen to what, is your, listen to what it is that's your, that is to your credit. But if you suffer for doing good, and endure it. If you suffer for doing good, if you haven't done a darn thing, and you are the victim of someone else's evil, and you endure it, this makes God smile. This is commendable to God. To this you were called. Now, the Bible doesn't say here, to this you were called, you know, you were called to suffer. Everybody suffers. We live in a fallen world, but we've been called to suffer the way Jesus did. To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, not just to take away your sins, but also to leave you an example that you should follow in his steps. Now, it's going to explain to us just how we do this. He committed no sin, no deceit was found in his mouth. In other words, if anybody had a right to stand up for his rights, 
if anybody was ever perfect and never did anything wrong, it was Jesus. You know, he committed no sin, no deceit was found in his mouth. But when they hurled insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, and this is the, the central message of my talk today, instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. It's not about letting go and giving up. It's about letting go and letting God. It's in God's hands. Every single one of us will face situations that absolutely won't change. You will have people in your life that won't change. And there are times when you just have to say, this is in God's hands, not mine. Listen to what it says in the message. This is the kind of life you've been invited into, the kind of life that Christ lived. He suffered everything. I think we've got a slide. There it is. Uh, Anyway, he suffered everything that came his way so that you would know that it could be done and also how to do it step by step. He never did one thing wrong, not once said anything amiss. They called him every name in the book, and he said nothing back. He suffered in silence, content, content. Say this with me, content to let God set things right. Jesus said this in uh, Luke chapter 23, verse 46. Jesus shouted, Father, I entrust my spirit into your hands. And with those words, he breathed his last. Jesus let it go when he was made flesh. Jesus let it go when he left this life to be with the Father. It's the old saying, let go and let God. Yet the sacred art of letting go is not the same as giving up. Instead, it's the art of giving in, realizing that as much as you'd like to do something about a situation that's driving you crazy or hurting you deeply, you realize that you're helpless. In fact, Jesus affirmed and established this, okay? It's that moment of helplessness that has the potential to set you free and change you forever. Simply stated, you're not in control. God is. When Jesus gave his life on the cross, he let it go. Before his crucifixion, he begged the Father to change the course of his life. And God said, no. And Jesus said, okay. It couldn't be clearer, and it couldn't be more difficult. Now, we have eight grandkids. My daughter has half of them. And they are 10, 8, 10, 8 6, and 4. So that means they were 6, 4, 2, and Zero. And she changed diapers for, she and her husband changed diapers for nine years. There was always, always, always some, some kid pooping for nine years. And her four kids are really, they're really active children. Uh, when we're there for a week, we actually stayed with them. We went to, my daughter and her husband went to visit my son who was in Japan at the time. And we went up to Colorado and we, we stayed with the children for for a week. And uh, whenever we're there, you know, we, we actually drive, right? We fly home, drive from the Phoenix airport to our counselor, our <coughs> psychiatrist, because of these kids. And, you know, and they, are, they fight because they're just two years apart. Boy, girl, girl, boy. And they've all learned how to scream. And, you, you know, you, it's like Adam and Eve in the garden. You try to figure out what in the world happened. And there is no truth to be found. You cannot... 
you know, what happened? Have you ever actually been dumb enough to ask that question to a bunch of kids? What happened? Nothing. He did. Wow, she loved. You know? So, you know, you ask, what's going on? And, and, uh, and finally, I used to say to my kids, I, I, just shut up. I'm, I know that's not a Christian thing to say. This, I'm, not, I'm not giving you a good example as a pastor. I, shut up! I don't care who's right or who's wrong. Who's wrong. I don't want to hear anything more. Has anybody else in here done that kind of thing? It's like, it doesn't matter. The only thing that matters is for you to shut up. You know? And you can't figure it out. You know, the best uh, attorney uh, in Washington, D.C. could not figure out what happened in the bedroom. You know? So, so anyway, uh, I, you know, I said to them, and I heard, I've heard my daughter say to them, just say okay. I've, I've heard our daughter say, just say okay, mommy. I mean, she learned that from me because I used to say that to her. And not mommy, but daddy, you know. Just say okay. And, or tell your sister you're sorry. You know, what? What? Just say okay. Uh, it is so hard for people just to say okay. It's another way to say, let it go. In Spanish, sueltalo. <laughs> Did I say it right today? Sueltalo! Let it go. Just say okay. And now I, I hear my daughter saying it, and you know, I pastored a big church down there. I had people on my staff, sometimes they drove me crazy. And uh, I, I had a young man, I mean, not so young, I mean, he had a father and he had a college degree and he's in ministry full-time and there are adults who can't say okay. They just can't say okay. I heard a guy, I heard a guy on television, this guy was in, was in prison, or maybe he was on death row for killing someone, and he, you know, he killed someone in a convenience market, and I heard him say, if that person had done what I had said, they wouldn't have died. So whose fault was it? See, He can't, just can't say, my fault. And this guy on my staff we were going at each other about a, an issue that was not a, it wasn't a moral issue, and I and I ta- you know he was just driving me crazy. And I, I'm sitting on my, on my chair in my office, and he's sitting on the sofa. And I still remember this moment. I said, "Bro, just say okay." And he said, "Well, you can do whatever you want. You're the boss." And so I did. I fired him. I didn't fire him right then, but I mean, that attitude, just say, okay, he had to have the last word, and he had to put it back on me. And eventually, it was, it was a symptom of a much deeper issue, and it got to be such a crisis that I had to let him go. I cried because we were friends. We're still friends. I just talked to him on the phone last week. But that moment was so difficult, and he could make him, he could make his life so much easier uh, for himself and, and for, the, for me. And, you know, you, you watch your kids like my grandkids, and they're going at each other, and I just think to myself, they're just causing themselves and each other and me so much pain if they would just let it go. Now, this doesn't apply to adults, right? Let it go. Here's our Bible memory verse. Would you say it? 
Just say, okay. Turn to the person next to you and tell them, just say, okay. You know what's funny about that? It's just fun right now. You haven't even done anything. But for someone next to you to say, just say, okay, you want to just say, why? You know? (laughs) And there are people who won't even say, okay, because I'm saying, I'm telling them to say, okay. No, they're not going to do that. You know? It's just, we're just such selfish, stubborn people. Some people are hostile and other people are passive aggressive. But we all have our ways of not saying okay. The Apostle Paul learned the sacred art of letting go. Look at Philippians chapter 4, verse 11. I have learned to be content, Paul says, whatever the circumstances. And I love that, you know, you know, it's really cool to say whatever, and right there, it's in the Bible, I've learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, I know what it is to have plenty, I know have, I, I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or want, I just give up. Is that what he says? I do all, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. So it's letting go and trusting God. Letting go and trusting God. Look at Matthew chapter 6, verse 7. Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? Can any of you, by worrying, add a single inch to your stature? Can any of you, by worrying, change that person's personality even slightly? You can change the world. There are some things that you can do, and there are some things that you should do. But what if you can't? It's the well-worn serenity prayer, and here's how I pray it. Change, or here's how I say it. Change what you can. Let go, let go of what you can't, and learn the difference. There's always a point at which you have to say to yourself, this is in God's hands. How many of you have tried to fix another person at least once in your life? Fix them, you know. You know, that's really God's job, right? But you want to be a little God in their life. You want to fix them. How many of you have failed to fix them? How many of them actually, how many of you actually had, the person got worse when you try to fix them? (laughs) Why did you do that? (laughs) Dummies. We're all dummies, you know? You know, Christians pray... Prayers like this, you know, God, deal with my husband. <laughs> God, deal with my boss. What do you mean by that? Well, God, you can do whatever you need to do. You can kill him if you want. I can't kill him because I'm a Christian. But God, you're in charge of everything. Just do something. Do something terrible because they need. Somebody needs to get their attention. I've been trying to get their attention. They don't listen to me. Deal with them. Where in the Bible does it say any place that we're supposed to pray for God to deal with somebody? No. It's a kind of a control thing. It's, you know, we can't fix them. And so instead of just turning it over to God, we tell God what to do. Right? So uh, this sort of happened to me. I mean, not just sort of. Um, Our youngest son, Matt, who's in the Navy, 
Uh, he's our third child. He's a musician. And his philosophy of life, and his, his philosophy of life, it's no big deal. He drove me crazy because for me, I'm, I told you I'm impatient. I'm a type A personality. You know, I want to get things done. I want to get things done yesterday. I get impatient with it. And he, everything is cool. You know, he's cool. He's a musician. And we had so many conflicts. And he said to me so many times, Dad, it's no big deal. If it's not a big deal, why am I upset? I don't know, Dad. You're going to have to work on that, you know? <laughs> he said, I said to him one time, I was so angry. I said, Matt, either you're crazy or I'm crazy. And he said, kind of with a quivering voice, he said, Dad, neither one of us is crazy. This is just a misunderstanding. Oh. You know, <clears throat> so he told me, he told me on the phone, it's really funny. At least he, heard, he kind of heard me talk, but... Uh, but, you know, he kind of got the message through the years. He told me on the phone, he said, his little boy Oliver, he said he's passive-aggressive, just like me. And he, and he thinks it's really funny because Oliver drives his wife crazy. And you see, this is sort of the hand of God. Uh, so I couldn't, I couldn't cope with this situation. As Matt got older, you know, the more harder I tried, the worse it got. And so I went to see my friend Al. And Al put his hand on my chest. (laughs) What do you think he said? Let it go, bro. You got to let it go. (laughs) He said, Matt, Matt's personality is, you know, you have conflicting personalities. And Matt's personality is the kind of personality that the more pressure you put on him, the more he's going to distance himself from you. And, you know, I made, it was like a watershed moment for me from that time from that time until now, I have not put pressure on him. I said, God, it's yours. And you know, God has his way. So what does Matt do? He marries this woman who's so anal and detailed, and everything is a big deal. And then he joins the Navy. I have the United States Navy working on my son. Okay? You got, I got the whole United States Navy on my side and God's side. So, you know, it, it, the Navy, how many, of you, how many veterans do we have in here? Every little thing in the military. Yes, we applaud our veterans. But if you're, if you're in the military, every little thing is a big deal. I mean, Matt went to boot camp with a college degree. And he was 23 years, years old, and they picked on him. And he just, he sort of just was always just on the margin of doing things that he shouldn't do. And he, he got in line. They had roll call every morning. He had to be at attention. And he's standing there. Everybody's standing at attention. He's still fixing his canteen. You know, everything is a big deal. This is really what the Bible means when it tells us that we need to keep the Sabbath. Okay. The Sabbath... <clears throat> I'm going to give you a little theology now, but it's really interesting. The Sabbath was originally designed as a weekly discipline to remind God's people that he was in control of all their work, that they had to trust him and not their own efforts to grow crops, raise livestock, to make money, even to relate properly to their families. So God says, I've worked six days. On the seventh day, I I rested, and now I want you to work six days. And on the seventh day, I don't want you to do any work. 
It was about reminding yourself that everything in your life was in the hands of God, even your spiritual life and salvation. Everything is in the hands of God all the time. You know, we say God is good. God is in control. Yeah, we don't know why I say that. God is good all the time, and, and he is Jesus' is Lord all the time. So look at, this, uh, uh, look at this statement here. The Sabbath was to be a weekly discipline of letting go. Letting go of your own efforts and instead trusting God. No work. It didn't matter if there was a crisis in the field. I mean, you could pull your ox out of a pit. But there was no work to be done on the Sabbath. Uh, you know, how many of you have worked kind of through the weekend because, you know, if you just didn't do it, it wouldn't get done? And anybody have that? You know, you just keep working and working and working. And, and it's not really about letting God rule the day. I mean, I, I just had a personal crisis. We got up here to Flagstaff, and I realized I left my computer and all my work folders at my house in Gilbert, and we're going to California. And my sister-in-law said, I called her and I said, she's, anyway, I, I thought maybe there was some way we could arrange to meet someplace on the west side of Phoenix. And she just said, well, maybe, maybe God just wants you to take a break from all that work. No! You know, I can't do that. It's like leaving the house without my watch. You know, so... The Sabbath was to be a weekly discipline of letting go. Okay, God, this is all yours. I look back on the week. It's been a good week. God provided for me, and now I'm going to rest. It wasn't just about not mowing the grass or, you know, taking a nap, watching a football game, or even just going to church. It was about saying God is in control. And let me help you by talking about the kind of the, the way the Ten Commandments are ordered. Uh, the first three commandments are about our relationship with God. Thou shalt have no other gods before thee, number one. Number two, thou uh, shalt not make any idols. Number three, thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. So the first three commandments are about God. The fourth commandment is thou shalt honor the Sabbath. Thou shalt keep the Sabbath. Okay? Then there are six more commandments that are about you, your family, other relationships, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not commit adultery, and your stuff, thou shalt not covet. So the last six commandments are about how we live our life. And, of course, we, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, so we start with God, and then the Sabbath becomes a bridge into everything else. So we have to take our relationship with God and put it into everything else. God is in control. This all belongs to God, not to me. My possessions belong to God. My family belongs to God. My time belongs to God. And so I'm going to rest in God's ownership of everything. Okay? So the commandment to keep the Sabbath is a bridge from our relationship with God to our relationship with other things, with others and material things. The order of the commandments puts God first, Sabbath second, and everything else third. The Hebrew word Sabbath means to pause. You know, hey, you know, people say, hey, chill out. That's another meaning of the Hebrew word Sabbath. Okay? Chill out. Stop for a second. Just stop. Take a deep breath. Pause. Let go of that. Count to ten. That's the meaning of the Sabbath. Okay? The Sabbath was to be a weekly reminder that our relationship with God has to penetrate every element of our lives. 
Now look at Exodus chapter 31. Let's take a look at this. Then the Lord said to Moses, say to the Israelites, you must observe my Sabbaths. You must observe my Sabbaths. This will be, and this is really interesting, this will be a sign between me and you for the generations to come. What is it? Well, I worked six days, I rested on the seventh. Nope. It will be a sign that you may know that I am the Lord who makes you holy. And when, when we read this, and this is the institution of the Sabbath in the book of Exodus, when we read this, we realize that the Sabbath is really about Jesus, who said to religious people, come to me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Everybody knew he was talking about the Sabbath. And we read in the book of Hebrews and that Jesus is our Sabbath. And it wasn't just about God working six days and then resting. It was about Jesus coming and finishing his perfect work and then being resurrected from the dead and sitting down at the right hand of the Father. That's in all the creeds. We never talk about that. Why did Jesus sit down? Because there was no more work to be done. It was done. On the cross, Jesus said, it is finished. And in the Greek, that word means it's perfect. There's nothing more. It's perfect. Everything is fulfilled. And so Jesus sat down. And you know what, it, what else it says about sitting down? It says in Ephesians that we are seated with Christ in heavenly places. It's done. There's nothing more to do for your salvation. It's not about what I've done or about what I'm going to do. It's about who he is. And so the Sabbath isn't just about resting from the, at the end of a long, hard, difficult, painful week. The Sabbath is ultimately about Jesus and our relationship with him. So look at Exodus now. We move on. Exodus chapter 31, verse 14. It says, observe the Sabbath because it is holy to you. Anyone who desecrates it, well, you've got to kill them. They must be put to death. Whoever does any work on the first day, on that day, must be cut off from his people For six days work is to be done, but the seventh day is a Sabbath uh, of rest, holy to the Lord. Whoever does any work on the Sabbath day must be put to death. Now, let me help you. Let me paraphrase this. I've got a little statement here. We could pop the next thing up on the screen. If you don't let it go and trust God, it'll just kill you. Do you like that? If you don't let it go and trust God, it'll just kill you. Somehow I have the feeling that before the day's over, somebody in this church is going to say to somebody in their family, let it go. (laughs) And that person, (laughs) and that person is going to say, they're going to growl. And somebody's going somebody's gonna to say to someone, just say, okay, let it go. <clears throat> I had a little incident with somebody, a friend. I told my wife, they were, they were kind of rude to me. They were hot, a little hostile. It was really uncalled for. I didn't say anything back. And I told my wife, that was just this last week. I said, I'm going to have to talk to them. And what do you think my wife said to me? Let it go. 
There's so much more that's accomplished by letting things go than there is by you trying to fix the situation. <laughs> and we believe just the opposite. It's so difficult to live in faith. Okay. Well, one last thing. Well, I'll read here uh, Exodus chapter 31, and I've got one last thing, and we'll wrap this up. Uh, the Israelites, Exodus chapter 31, verse 16, the Israelites are to observe the Sabbath, celebrating it for the generations to come as what? What does it say? As a lasting covenant. So the, the Sabbath is not just about something Jews did before Jesus came. The Sabbath is a lasting covenant. It's about living in faith and in trust in God every moment of your life, of pausing and saying, God, you're in control. Don't be anxious about anything, the Bible says, but with prayer and thanksgiving, make your requests be made known to God and the peace of God that passes all of your ability to figure stuff out will keep your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. Let it go. So the Sabbath is a lasting covenant. We need to live the Sabbath by embracing the moment-by-moment sacred discipline of letting go. Now, last thing, letting go, the letting go of forgiveness. Um, Jesus said, look at Mark chapter 11, verse 25. We're a couple of slides behind here. Here we go. When you stand praying, Jesus says, if you hold, hold, what's the opposite of holding? Letting go. If you hold anything against anyone, how many of you have held at least one thing against one person in your life? How many of you have held one thing against somebody else this week? You know, if, if you hold anything against anyone, Jesus says, forgive them. Now, I don't know what the English word forgive means. You know, people say, people say well, you've got to forgive that person. Well, what does that mean? Does it mean you have to kind of fix the relationship or that the relationship has to be the way it was or that both of you are going to totally forget what happened? What does that mean? It's so simple in the Greek. The Greek word, aphiemi. What do you suppose it really means? Based on everything I've said today, that's what it means. It means to let it go. It's, it's an archery term. It was used as an archery term. You know, you're pulling back on the string, and there's all the tension, and, you, and you're standing there. Oh, man, this just really hurts. What's somebody going to tell you? Let it go. That's what, the, that's what the Greek word means. Let it go. In fact, um, in, uh, in the uh, Amplified Bible, it says, whenever you stand pr- praying, we could go to the next slide. Whenever you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, forgive them and let it drop, leave it, let it go. Now, see, that doesn't fix anything except your soul. When you let it go, it brings peace, the peace of God. And forgiveness is something that maybe you have to do many, many, many times. And just let it keep, you got to keep letting it go. The more, more recent the memory of the pain, the more often you have to just say to God, I'm letting it go. I'm, I'm not going to bow down to this thought. I'm not going to obsess about this situation. This is in your hands, Jesus, forever. Well, uh, my friend Al Els, he found out a year ago, we've been friends for 25 years or more, he found out a year ago 
he's had a he's had a quiver in his right in his left hand, and his doctor told him it was benign, and it wouldn't go away. So he went back and got testing, and he has Parkinson's disease. And I felt so bad for him. And I said, "Oh, Al, man, what you know? How the, how are you feeling about this?" He said, "I'm totally trusting God." He said. God has been so good to me. He's healed me. Uh, I believe he can heal me, but when he hasn't healed me, he's given me grace to face whatever life has brought my way. And he said, the only thing that's really disappointing to me is it's becoming more and more difficult for me to play golf. That was it. And I just thought, this, this is an illustration of this sacred art of letting go. In, it is. It is an. It's. It, it is. It. It's. It's an illustration of how to practice this. No matter what happens in life, God, you're in control. So let's say it together. Let's put the last slide up there. Let's say it together. Let it go. Pastor Tim Masters with this week's message on the Destined to Win podcast. Destined to Win is made possible with the prayerful and financial support of those destined to win. To donate online, visit vlccaz.org. That's vlccaz.org. Destined to Win is a production of Victorious Life Christian Center with services Sunday mornings at 10 at the Flagstaff Middle School Complex. I'm Joe Harding. For Pastor Tim Masters and the congregation at Victorious Life Christian Centers, you're invited to join us here next week for another edition of the Destined to Win podcast.